Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. Bob Ross. <laughs> Happy little trees. No, we were talking about Bob Ross right before the show. Right before That's the all show. I can think about now Talk is about- Bob Ross. <laughs> Happy little yes. clouds. Uh, painting in Fallout 4. That's what it was. Really? That's what I was looking for. Yep. There was I that. In- in forward. I didn't even know that mm-hmm. was a thing. Um, also joining us is your co-host, Hunter. Space! Space, space, space. Okay. Space. <laughs> you sound a little Australian there for a second. A little New Zealandish. Um, go on. What also, we got here is an alien in addiction. <laughs> it's a nasty thing. What the fuck is? What the fuck is that? Excuse me. Sorry. What is that? Is that thing? Steve Irwin, I'm guessing. Oh, oh. I still miss him. I'm sad now. Uh, also joining us is your co-host Spaz. Hello, and we have a guest joining us from uh, Dallas, Texas. Do you have a company name or anything, Roy, or is it just, just I mean, Ray, or is this you? It's just me. Joining us from it's Dallas, just me games. Texas is the founder of Just Me Games, <laughs> Ray Fowler. Sorry, Ray Fowler. Hey. You're going to have to trademark that now before somebody else gets it. Yeah, that's actually not a bad name. I, I like that name. You should totally snatch that if you can. Just Me Games. That's great. Why an indie de- – I'm going to look that up. But why an indie developer who's just the- – there's so many, like, solo indie developers. And I'm going to look it up. Uh, but, folks, Ray is here to talk about his uh, Master of Orion 1, not 2 – not two. Let me say that again. We're not talking and three about three is right out. No, not three. Not three. Master of Ryan one inspired game, Remnants of the Precursors. Hey, thanks for the invite. It's nice to finally be the normal guy in a group. Hey, what? <laughs> what does that mean? Boom. This is this is probably this is probably very true. <laughs> well, I'm just listening to everybody's intro. I didn't have a fancy intro to come with, so. Well, last um, week we had advertisements. Yeah, which we <laughs> should do more. Yeah. Which we should do more, actually, I think, because that was really great. We should like write up some scripts and try and do that as a thing. Because that was actually really funny. Even listening to it afterwards was really funny. Um, Want to get into space trucking but don't know how? <laughs> Call up Square Pigs. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that kind of greatness. Um, so... Uh, Ray, I want to thank you for uh, joining us. Now, uh, I want to talk about a thing, because your game was not always called... um, I want to start at the very beginning. Your game was not always called Remnants of the Precursors. It it used to be called Java Moo, uh, which... That is correct. Which everyone knows as, you know, Java... Some kind of cow reference. Master of... Yeah. Um, So, how did this... How did the project get started? What I mean, were you tired of... All the Master of Orion 2 wannabes. Uh, wh- how did this get off the ground? Well, it was actually about 10 years ago. Um, in the charred remains of Master of Orion 3, I decided mm. you know, that uh, I was unhappy with how that turned out. And I was trying to learn Java professionally. So I thought it would be a great idea to learn Java by writing a game. So I started writing a game. I called it Java Moo. And it was really ugly. It was my first attempt at Java. And I got pretty far with it. It was pretty functional. You could, you know, uh, diplomacy, expansion, all that stuff was in the game. It was just very ugly. And then a 
for reasons unrelated to the project, I kind of had to stop working on it. And then um, a couple of years ago, I decided, hey, you know, I should restart this game because, you know, I'm, I'm a much more experienced developer in Java now. So I thought I could do a better job at it. So I took my source code, my old source code, and restarted the project. And about four months after I restarted the project, Wargaming announced that they were going to remake Master of Orion. Oh, so yeah, yeah. So, but I was calling it Java Moo. And then at some point, I was about to have an alpha, and I contacted Wargaming because I was concerned about, you know, their intellectual property. I mean, I'm a developer, and I respect other people's intellectual property, and I didn't want to uh, use Moo or the Master of Orion name if they weren't okay with it. So I contacted them, and they said they have they'd been watching the project. They'd been watching the project for a while, and that it was okay. I just couldn't use Massive Orion, but I could continue with the project. And so I renamed it, and but I get to keep all the alien names like the Mershon, Clackon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I came up with remnants of the precursors, um, mostly because I don't know if you remember, but like in the Massive Orion series, there's there's this whole lore of the Orions and the Antarans, and I wanted to build up the lore around that, so that's why I called it that name. No, it's a great name. It's it's definitely a little has more... Um, I disagree. <laughs> oh. I, it's a mouthful. It is, but it has more flair to it than, than Java Moo. But Java Moo is kind of fun to say when you say it out loud. That is true. I did Java like the Moo. Java Moo name, and when I decided to come up with a new name... I wanted to make sure I didn't do anything like Master of Orion. I didn't want any star names. I didn't want it to have Galaxy or Conquest or all these <sighs> cliched words that we have in these titles. So you got to get Void in there somewhere. I was going to say, I'm glad you don't have Void in there because, God damn it. Or <laughs> Stellar. So many games with you Void. You have Avoided Void. Yeah. Oh, oh God. God. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I went there. <laughs> hey, I heard I heard weird trivia this morning uh-huh. on the way in. They were talking about the Noid from uh, the Domino's. Domino's. The Domino's thing. Yeah, and apparently because uh, they were talking about the old game, Avoid the Noid or whatever it was. It was the there was like a Super Nintendo game or something way back in the land um, about the Noid, and uh, so apparently there was some crazy person whose last name was Noid. And he thought that all the Domino's stuff was a personal attack on him. So he went into a Domino's with a gun and, like, held the place up for hours, you know, hostages and stuff. And that's apparently why Domino's just dropped the whole Noid thing. That's pretty crazy. What? Yeah, I have to Snopes it, but that's what it got said. And I was what? just like, what? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, um... Learn something new every day, but Snopesing now. But wow, really? Come come on, man. Noid? That's in so many things, that word. Annoyed. <laughs> um but but yeah, no, I mean I it's kinda sad you had to change your name, but I mean one thing about your name is it is in all these space games that are coming out, it is pretty unique. Yes, well, yes so, it's a mouthful. Sorry, I was just going to say, yes, it's a mouthful, but it kind of has to be, I feel like, these days. Sorry, continue. Oh, and by the way, it's true. Pizza workers can't avoid the noise. Held hostage five hours, uh, LA Times. There you go. And it happened in LA, so it's Brian's fault. Uh, All right, go I, on. I, 
Go on, sorry. Brian. I wasn't in LA at the time. Anyway. Oh. I was Moon. I was with Steve. <laughs> so what I was going to say is, um, if for people who don't like the name, my theory about names is there's usually not really a good name. What makes a name good is if the product is good. If the product is good, then people will go, oh, that's a great name. I mean, who would have thought Apple was a good name for a computer, right? But because they made a quality product, we associate Apple and we think, oh, that's a great name. So as long as I make a good game, I don't really think the name matters. No, no. I mean, you know, the name is important, but yeah, the gameplay is what's really important. And speaking of the game, I did, um, I played a bunch of it to uh, record footage that folks watching the stream might be watching. Um, And I got to say, you did an excellent job of capturing the mix of depth and still simplicity that Master of Orion um, really inhabits. You know, I, so kudos to you. Now, folks, uh, if you're wondering what we're talking about, uh, 1993 uh, saw the first of the Master of Orion games from Simtex, right? Simtex? Um, who right. went on to make Master of Orion 2, Master of Magic. And... Uh, while a lot of people try and copy Master of Orion 2, uh, and Several. many, and so many. many, 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 so, so many, not hardly anyone is trying to capture. And I, I have a theory about this, but I wanted to talk to you about it. Um, not many people are trying to capture this, the, 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 the simple splendor that is Master of Orion 1. And I think that might be a part of it because. The design of Master of Orion 1 is, it, if you just look at it, it looks like a much simpler game than Master of Orion 2. And in some ways it is. It doesn't have like all the features that Master of Orion 2 does. But it's just as deep a game. It's just so much more efficient to play. And I'm wondering if that's why a lot of people don't try and copy it, because that is really hard to emulate. Well, I think it's a lot more about fleet management. Instead of like, I have to go down on the planet and decide like how many farmers are planting crops this year, you know, because you just it's all sliders and which is and great. But that's a really good point because the, one of the key differences between the first Master of Orion and the second Master of Orion is the player focus. Because the colony management in the first game was so streamlined, the player's focus was on moving out, managing his fleets, encountering other races, expanding through the galaxy. But in Mass of Orion 2, you have to do so much colony management that your focus tends to go inwards to your empire of you know micromanaging and making sure it's developing perfectly. And it's a completely different feel to the game. Yeah, it really does. You're right. And I played the second one first. I, I, I only played the first one like earlier this year for the first time, really. And I was just blown away by... Like, I don't need to tell it which buildings to build. I just say, work on to spread this, spread these resources out between industry and defense and whatnot. And that's just so brilliant. You know? Right. It's, it's so I, and I, efficient. Well, it's, and, it's like the colony is going to take care of itself. They're not all going to just starve to death. It's, it's a viable thing at some point, right? And, and it's not the thing that I like about it is it's, it's not like, well, this planet does nothing but produce industry and that planet over there does nothing. I like about it. So it's, 
that kind of deal, right? So you don't have like a monoculture planet that just does one thing. It's like a, a planet's a planet. Like you look at Earth, right? It's like we do our food, we do our industry, we, you know. But it's what's the surplus that's coming out of here that you kind of control. So it's like I'm going to lean it this way. This is what I want them to export. Yeah, and and with your with with this game and Master of Orion, you don't have to worry really about exports and things. You just move uh, population around to to get the colonies to uh, build out a little faster. It makes for a much more fast paced game too. Like that's right. I, in the video, like I played in the video, I played a half an hour game, and I already got to war with one race and bombarded one of their colonies into oblivion in a half an hour. You know, like with a lot of uh, with a lot of more MMO two focused games, you're like still freaking exploring after half an hour, which is fine. You know, but like it makes for a different it makes for a different pace and a different game, and and your game captures that really well. Well, there's a lot to be said for a game that you can play in an evening if you want, and still have the full you know, experience of expanding through galaxy and taking it over, you know, if you're playing a small map. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was actually playing like, I think a larger, a huge map. And I still got to a, I still got into a scruff with a, with a neighbor, uh, not too long in. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, I really like what's going on here now. Um, you were saying something. I want to talk about this earlier. You were saying that you have the Master of Orion um, strategy guide as kind of like a guide to making your game. You kind of use that as a reference, I'm guessing. I think you said. Yeah the the Master of Orion strategy guide from the first game is so well written, and, mm-hmm. and in fact, it's not just that one, but other guides from that era are. Oh but that God. guide yeah. launched the careers of a lot of indie developers, I think, because it didn't just tell you strategies in the game, but it explained how underlying mechanics worked. So someone who, let's say, who was a programmer would read that book, and they would come away thinking, oh, I could write this game, right? And so I think that's why you know, a lot of people want to do Space Forex games, because it, it seems so obvious once you read that guide. And, and folks, um, two of the best guides I think ever made are the Master of Orion and Master of Magic strategy guides. If you want some really great reading, track copies of those down. Printed copies, not PDFs. Printed copies. And also the original guide from Civ 1. I think it was called like Rome on 640K yeah, I've, a day. I've been That's a great to, one too. I've been trying to track down a copy of that myself. And it, that one's hard to find because I, I didn't really play much Civ 1. And so, but I've heard that that guide is is amazing. I could talk about strategy guides all night. I love just reading through them. Well, they're all written by Alan Emmerich, and he's the guy yeah. who came up with the term 4X. Yeah. Yeah, folks, if you don't know, the term 4X actually came from a review written by Alan Emmerich of the original Master of Orion game. So there were some, there were 4X games before Master of Orion, like Civilization and was it Stellar Crusade and Reach for the Stars and um, a few others, but they weren't really called 4X games. They were just, I guess, called strategy games or war games. Um, but Master of Orion helped coin the term. So there's a lot of reverence for this game, which, again, 
just kind of blows my mind why it's not being emulated more often than its, its own sequel. But, well, I think uh, part of that is because the sequel so, sold so well, right? It did. You know, when, yeah. when Master of Orion 2 came out, there was, at the time, it's kind of hard to believe now, but Master of Orion was probably considered the superior 4X game of the of the time. And so when Master of Orion 2 came out, you know, it would just have huge sales. People jumped on it. And so if you were being introduced to that genre for the first time, why would you go back and play the first Master of Orion when the sequel was already out and on sale, right? People that's, didn't realize they were vastly different games. That's where I was. Yeah, like I I bought the original off the shelf uh, back in the day because all these other people were interested. And I'm like, I should try this. Um, it was one of my first strategy games, really. Like before that, it was Ascendancy, and then that, pretty much. Um, so yeah, I'm like, why would I go back to the first one? It looks so much different and simpler. Uh, that was a mistake. And the, <laughs> and the graphics haven't aged well. They're very dated, no. so it's very easy for someone to pull up that game. It wasn't made for Windows, right? So no. it's just very hard to get into if you've never played it before. Yeah, and the UI is very early 90s. Very, very, very DOS early 90s. <laughs> Yeah, what was the minimum spec to run Moo 1? Was it oh. like 386, 486? God, I don't even know. 386, and I think 2 megs of RAM. <laughs> 2 megs. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of RAM back then. Back in 93, yeah, I think I had to upgrade to 4 megs of RAM just to run Privateer. I think that, uh, run it well on my 486 back in the day. <laughs> oh my God. How far we've come, but it's kind of it's kind of neat because you've kind of kept a lot of. <laughs> someone just someone are you dying? okay? What happened? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nicole is uh, Nicole is uh, okay, folks. I usually have push to talk, and so usually if I if I wasn't talking, you wouldn't be able to hear that. But Nicole is doing uh, wedding stuff right now. And a lot of our paper, a lot of our stationery is in here in the office. So she was getting a soda, uh, which is on a shelf nearby, and sure, some station. That's what I was doing. What I were was, you? I thought. What were I you was, doing? It was much dumber than that. Okay, what I, was it? I was trying. People to want to hear. Door. People want to hear. I. It was a domino effect. Okay. Like, you opened the door. Opened the door. And then the soda, which is balanced on top of other soda. Uh huh. And now I know what you're gonna say. Uh huh. But it's also balanced on an Ikea shelf that's very rickety. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't my fault. It was A like rickety a Ikea shelf. Who thunk, huh? I know, right? And that's my that- story, and I'm sticking to it. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry about that. Nice little... Special guest. Little special guest. That was my uh, my fiancé. Um, what, what were we talking about? Um, no, I was going to say that the interface of your game kind of stays true to the spirit of the original game, but is much more user-friendly at the same time. Like, how did you accomplish that? Because it, it, it kind of, it's, it mirrors the original very closely, but is much, much more, feels much more modern. You know, it feels, well, I'm glad you noticed that. I'm sorry. Someone was talking. No, that was me. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Because um, for starters, I really don't like any of the interfaces of modern space forex games. Um, Stellaris, Galsiv, Endless Space, I feel like they're all copying each other, and they're all very derivative. And so when I was remaking Master Orion, 
I basically instructed the graphic designer, I want you to redo these and make them look modernized, but I want you to maintain the same layout and kind of look and feel. And she's done a great job, right? Mm-hmm. I can't do that. I'm a programmer. I can't mm-hmm. make pretty things. How many people? But I found somebody who could. How many people do you have working on this with you? Okay, so that's a good question. I'm the developer. Um, I have an illustrator, a graphic designer to design all the UIs. I have a writer to do all the writing in the game. Um, there is a uh, we've had a musician do some of the music, and there's been two guys that have done translations already, and there's a third one working on another. So, how many people is that? I don't know. About half a dozen. It's about half a dozen. Yeah, people. that's pretty and good. They're all paid. What? Okay, wait, this is a free game. So how, I don't know if you can tell me, how is that happening? Well, um, what happens is, is I like have money and I exchange it for goods and services. That's amazing. No, usually you don't hear that. Usually with, with tiny projects like this, you hear like they're all working for free. They're all volunteers. So no, that's great. I think that's a disaster waiting to happen, to be honest with you, because um, if you have somebody working for free, then they don't really have any investment or skin in the game. And so if they burn out or leave, you can't do anything about it. I think it's best to pay people for their their time, right? These are professionals. I mean, everyone I've hired, well, except for the translators, are actually professionals in what they're doing. And so I pay them, right? I mean, that's I would expect to be paid for my work. So I try to honor that. And it's kind of interesting that um, – <laughs> It's kind of, it's it's kind of interesting you have that philosophy because we don't get to, we don't talk about that kind of thing very often we don't ask about it money usually doesn't come up but like the only time that does come up is like when a developer says well, they have volunteers working for them so it's really great that not only do you have a free product but that you're compensating the people who are working on it that's really commendable I think it would be the word I'd use um, do you have a full time gig? That you do you help pay for? Oh yeah, this? oh yeah. My okay. I'm a full time software developer, and I've oh. been a, a professional programmer for about 25 years, and so I can afford to do this. This is really a nice hobby for me, to be perfectly uh, that, honest. That is great. I mean, the great thing about that is, I think some of the best developers we've talked to are the ones that aren't financially relying on their project, so they could so it could be truly a labor of of love. And, and not have that pressure, that monetary pressure weighing them down. Right. Nothing I do reeks of desperation with this project. Yeah, that's that's true. And I'm not trying to – and I hope any developers listening don't think I'm talking about them or anything. I mean money is a is an issue. But it, every now and then we talk to a developer. It's like, no, nah, I'm good. I just do this for love. I don't, I don't make anything. I'm like, wow. All right. Like we had one developer who was like, I don't care if it sells or not. <laughs> I'm good. I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> well, well, uh, the game being free kind of comes with some advantages and disadvantages, right? If it's free, if I'm not taking money from anybody, I'm not beholden to anybody. I don't have to make game design decisions based oh. upon whether or not I think they'll be profitable or not. I can make the game I want to make that I think I should make as long as I can afford it, right? Of course. I mean, this is your dream project. This is your baby. Absolutely. Right, and I don't think that I don't I don't think that everything we need to, we do in life needs to be monetized, right? Because I have a lot of people who hear about the game 
relatives, friends, coworkers, even people online that, you know, tell me like, you could sell this game and make a lot of money. And I'm going, yes, but that would kind of change the whole project. And I just don't want to do that. Was part of the terms of you getting to make this that you don't make it profitable? Like if you were going to sell it, then the IP would come down on you or, or no. That is true, but that's not why. It was always going to be free. And, uh, for example, I don't think I'm violating any uh, wargaming intellectual property now. But um, if they came and said, you know what, we don't want you using the name Marshawn or Sakura or whatever, then I would just change it, right? But I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to sell the original Java Moo. I wasn't going to sell this one. So that's, if it was a completely different name, I, it wouldn't be a problem for me either. Fair enough. No, and and that that is great. That is really great that you're making it free because um, there are a few games like every now and then people ask me, I want a 4X game that I could play in an evening, you know, and because your game is free, I can easily point to yours. There's like yours and what's the other one? 10-minute strategy? What, you, do you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's a 10-minute 4X, I think it's called. Yeah. Whereas yes, it's another minute, fairly simple... 4X. Yeah, it's it's not Master Over One ish. It's more um, Space Word Ho ish, if that makes sense. <laughs> so it didn't come so out what right. About, what uh, about uh, Free Orion? That's uh, another what's open that? sourced uh, Free Ori- Master what? Orion clone. But there it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, freeorion.org. It's yeah. it's a it's um, crowdsourced. They're, they're doing a mm, yeah, but it's going like far beyond the scope of Master of Orion 1. It's, right. it's become like a, a wild beast now because, you know, they can't stop people from just cramming stuff in it. Right, and I think, actually, I think they're, they're based off of Mu 2, the second Master of Orion. But see, that's another problem, too, right, with, like, crowdsourcing or having an open-source game is people, you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen, right, so you may not end up with the game that you started with, right? Right. Yeah. You. I mean, you lose that that focus when you have multiple people putting their yeah, ideas into a project. Yeah, that point you got designed project. by a committee. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which, and, and that is kind of an interesting dynamic I've had to deal with, right? Because you know, I've said I'm going to open source this game when I'm done with it, and a lot of people. You know, try to provide like constructive criticism. You should do this. You should do this. Wouldn't it be great if you did this? And I have to tell them that, you know, guys, I'm not crowdsourcing the design. I'm making this game, right? And I don't know how you say that without being rude. It's like, I appreciate your input, but you'll get to do all of that once you have access to the source code. I'm not going to do it, right? That is that is really amazing, though, that you're going to be giving access to the source code once you feel it's done and ready to do so. That's that's pretty darn great. Uh, now, my question is, why Java? That's my question. I mean, I got nothing against Java. It's just most people use Unity these days or Unreal, you know. So what was there a specific thing about Java? It's because you knew it. Or, or was there some other reason you chose it for the the backbone of this game? Well, when I first started the project like 10 years ago, I actually – started the project to learn java so um java is the most used programming language in the world so if i'm going to open source something it makes sense to use the language that more people would have access to but 
I understand your point. I get a lot of criticism from people, or constructive criticism, of course, about, you know, Java is not the best language. You know, it's not fast enough. And I think my coworkers know me, and they're probably going to laugh when I say this, but I'm very much a performance-oriented programmer in most of my career. So when people say Java is going to be slow, I'm like, well, I guess I'll just have to make my Java game run faster than your game because I can do it, right? So uh, I see it as a challenge now. That, that's actually pretty great. Um, because, yeah, you don't run into a lot of Java-based games these days anymore, do you? I don't think I, – I really don't. Um, no, and it's uh, – I think Minecraft was Java, but they used oh, uh, the video card, yeah. But, uh, see, I'm it not was, even using yeah. it. I'm not even using the video card. Everything I'm writing is in straight Java. So there's no Unity. There's no um, you know OpenGL stuff. I don't use the video card at all. It all runs on the CPU, which actually gets me a lot of advantages because I don't have to worry about video card compatibilities. I don't have to worry about DirectX or anything like that. I can just say, take this game, play it. It'll run. It'll run on a, a Linux box. It'll run on Mac. It'll run on Windows. It'll even run on the Raspberry Pi. Wait, what? It'll run on a Raspberry Pi? Actually, uh, I have a friend at work who's running on a Pi Zero. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. So is this the point where I should like let everybody know what my plans for world domination are? Uh, yeah. uh, sure. If you have some, why not? <laughs> okay. So, so, this- so basically the 4X, he has become so immersed in that that now it's bleeding over into real life and he's going That's to right. This game this game is me uh, manifesting 4X in real life, right? So here's the deal. Um I think the original Massive Orion was, is like a a great design, right? It's like a diamond in the rough because you know it's getting so old and it's, it's hidden behind this horrible old dated UI. But my goal for this game and don't laugh, you well you can laugh if you and I don't care is to make this game I'm making the most played Space Forks game in the world. Ambitious, but I mean, hey, you got to have some high goals, right? Well, I mean, it works on all these varied platforms. It works on a variety of configurations. I, again, Master Let me explain, Ryan, yeah. Yeah, Master of Ryan. Let me explain. Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, you're probably pretty much going to say what I'm going to say. The way I see it, I've got it broken down. There's four things... I need to have happen to reach that goal. One, it needs to be a good game. People have to want to play it, right? That makes obvious sense. Absolutely. And Master of Orion is like a classic. So if I, as long as I can make a faithful Master of Orion 1 remake, you know, with a modernized interface, I think I cover that. Number two, it needs to be affordable. So as many people as possible can afford to play it. I've got that covered. It's going to be free. Anyone should be able to afford this, right? Uh, number three, it needs to play on as m- many different hardware platforms as possible. So it's written in Java, so it'll run on Windows, Mac, and Linux. Um, and I've tuned the specifications. I've worked on the performance code so much that it'll actually run on systems as small as a Pi Zero, which is a $5 computer. So now we're talking about a game that can play on just about anybody's computer. It's free, and it's a decent game to play. The last thing I need to do, and this is something I don't have a lot of control over, um, but people listening could probably help if they wanted to, is I need the game to be translated into as many languages as possible. 
So I'm hoping that by the time the game goes gold in about a year or so, it'll be in about 20 or 30 different languages at that point. And at that point, at that point, you're going to look at a a good game that's free that'll play on anybody's computer and crosses language barriers. So at that point, I don't see how any commercial game, which can't do those things is going to be able to compete for gathering the player base. Cause after that, it's all marketing. And, and since you're going open source, people can make maps, people can make, scenarios people can mod the game holy crap <laughs> well done. so i'm not saying it'll happen i'm just saying there's a path there no it's a good plan it's it's a good plan i mean i had i've probably put an hour or so into the alpha um and i had a great time just chugging around moving ships around dealing with uh dealing with uh, other empires and stuff. And I got to say, the other empires, their AI, even at the early stage, was not bad. Uh, yeah, they were fairly aggressive. They spied on me a lot, which I loved. I'll be honest with you. I thought that was great. I think Espionage, while in a lot of 4X games, isn't as utilized as well as it could be. You know? Um... So it was great to like capture all these spies. Like I think only a few games get sp- get espionage really right, you know. So that was really nice to see. I got to give you props on that. Well, I'm kind of very opinionated about AI and how to do it, and okay. a lot of people have opinions let's, on it. Let's go down that rabbit hole because I want to know. Oh, I like, do too. Yeah, is, no, is this, I, I want to hear like this. a weighted list thing, or how how do you accomplish uh, a computer player that can play competently? without cheating. Okay. Well, here we go. So I wrote an article on my blog a while back called um, nine ways that four X AIs disappoint us. And the only reason I mentioned that is for some reason that became the most read article on my blog, more than my alpha releases or anything like that. So this is obviously something that a lot of people care about. And my opinion is is there's really two phases very simplistically to making a good AI, making a good AI. The first rule, which seems they all seem obvious, right, is number one, don't do stupid things. And the second rule is do smart things. So I think ninety percent of what we see as intelligence in the real world among people is just us knowing not to do stupid things. And when someone does something smart, we're surprised. We go, hey, that was a great idea. That was really clever, right? It's That's not that common. So my goal, first and foremost, is to focus on things that the AI does wrong, things that when a player sees, it's very obviously wrong. It breaks immersion. Like yeah, it's constantly – oh, go ahead. Go sure. The deadly sin is whenever I have – I'm turtled up. I have a super strong base. And the AI keeps sending like one ship over to just be obnoxious, right? I've I've seen this in so many games where, and, and it's not like they're they're harassing or destroying anything. It's just like they just build a ship and send it over and get it killed, and it does no damage to me. And I was it's like, man, why are you doing that over and over? Uh, you want to hear infuriating? I was playing uh, 4X this weekend. I won't say what it is. I'll just say it rhymes with Fendless Race. And um, 
And at one point, I was like, I had my, I had a, because in this game, like, you not only scout systems, but you could send probes to planets to do things. So you got to leave your scout there for a while. And this other ship from this other race just sat there the entire time. Maybe it was doing the same thing I was, but the thing is, I was. There were no um, anomalies disappearing, so it was just like sitting there. So every turn would be like, there's an enemy ship in this system. Every damn turn. And it was infuriating. And I remember the first game in this system did something very similar. It's like, why is that ship just sitting there? This is stupid. What's frustrating to me is when new games, new Forex games, the AI makes the same dumb mistakes that Forex games made in the 90s. It's like they still haven't learned how to fix these problems. <laughs> well, like, what's an example? What, what's what's an example you're thinking of? Well, like uh, what the other guy said about just one ship coming over at a time, right? Uh, just kind of yeah. dribbling over there. That's really annoying. I, and that was actually one of the things on my list. Yeah, yeah just uh, when, when the AI has no idea what your strength is, you know, and it just sends a completely inappropriate force over there to but but then again, as a human, I do that sometimes. Or what it's about like, the oh, situation? I can take them and. Oh. But what about the situation where you're like friends with the AI, and all of a sudden, for no reason, he's angry at you and he declares war, and then he doesn't do anything for thirty turns, and then he wants peace. What's up mm-hmm. with that? I mean, that's I hate that really stupid. so much. Yeah, that's Galsiv. Oh, not to mention it's not just Galsiv. No, I had another. I had another game do that recently. I had another game do that recently where, like, why are you declaring war on me? Now you're declaring peace the next turn. Okay, sure. <laughs> why not? I don't know. So tell tell you a funny story about Stellaris. There was a race, because you get... I, I was having trouble with my... Uh, with my... Um, what do they call that? It's, it's the, the resource that you get, like, the, your uh, approval rating, right, from your population. And you get approval, you get a boost if you have a rivalry, right? So I declared a rivalry against a, against some empire that was, like, clear on the other side of the galaxy, right? I'm just like, ah, you guys suck. And I was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll you know, declare war even. Yeah, huge morale boost. And then uh, just left them alone, right? It's just like, I'm never going over there. And and they're going to have to come through like all that stuff with a fleet to get at me. They're never going to do it because I'm never going to provoke them. Oh my God, they showed up on my doorstep with like a 60 bajillion point fleet and just wiped me. And <laughs> a lesson was learned. Don't taunt the AI. I That's still actually don't know how nice. they did it, but it was, it, yeah, it was just like, there I was trying to like, you know, farm uh, Cold War bonus out of him, and uh, he, he went hot. I have, to, I have to admit I'm not a fan of that mechanic in uh, Stellaris, the whole rivalry No, I think thing. it's a little bit weird. Like, why would I have to be aggressive? I guess yeah. it, it forces aggression like that. But Yeah, and yeah. I don't want to be aggressive. I just want to research stuff and explore stuff. Leave me alone. I don't want to fight you. That's all I want. But you should be punished for that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, it's so that, ultimately uniting people against a common enemy because you're declaring them an enemy. Therefore, they should rally to your cause. But even saying that as Lord doesn't necessarily make sense because if they don't believe in that cause, it doesn't really matter. Or if you're just going to sit there in a Cold War state for 30 turns or so, 
then what have you actually accomplished? Yeah, so it's almost like there should be a diplomacy option of like an agreed upon Cold War because it makes money for both sides, right? It's it's just like, yeah, okay, let's let's declare a not war and, and let's saber rattle at each other and our and the people will just hand over a lot of money. That's kind of that's kind economy. of but that's just exploiting a mechanic though, right? That's kind of what no, was that's happening. that's real world politics. But that's kind of what was happening in this game I was playing on the video here is that I, I hadn't declared war against anyone at first, but then I kept capturing the, the, the these other guys' spies, you know, and they got annoyed with me. I thought that was kind of nice, actually. <laughs> like, oh, you want to do it this way, huh? You want to just keep sending spies? All right. And and hi, you want to play it like earlier. this, eh? <laughs> In the game I was playing earlier, they were they were literally trying to sabotage me every turn, and I was catching their spies every turn. Which you know what? That sounds annoying, but it's not. I think that's great. I love. That. Oh, I'm not annoyed by it. Yeah. I think it was. It's great because it means. Oh yeah, they're doing stuff. They're really trying to hurt me, even yeah. though we're not declared war. They're trying to hurt me. Exactly. You know what I would really love to see is um. Uh, what the heck is that game? It's the it's a the game about the Cold War in, in Europe and uh, Twilight Struggle. Twilight Struggle. Thank uh. you, sir. I would like to see a space version of Twilight Struggle. Like, let's let's make that Klingons and Federation, and you know, call it like Klingon Border or something. And and it's just it's that. You know, it's you Twilight call Struggle it, uh, in space. You call it um, Federation Axanar. Empire. Oh, Axanar. No. That's a. <laughs> we won't go there. But um, yeah, man, I I don't uh, I don't understand why something like that hasn't been done. Like because all these all these games, right? They go they get the economy in there, and then they go for the military thing, and then the spying kind of comes in next, and then the diplomacy could be, maybe be a little deeper than that. And generally, they just never get around to trade, other than. Well, I can put a star base out there that's a trade thing and it makes passive income just for being. Um, but there, but there's no game where it's like you actually have an option to build an economy with other races. Act- or actually, there's one game I was thinking of that can do much of what we're talking about. It's called Seven Kingdoms, if you uh-huh. recall that one. It's got yeah. trade, you know, great economics. Probably the best espionage I've seen in any game of its type. Yeah, well, it's just like, can I just play a game where I'm a badass merchant prince and nobody wants to screw with me because they'll le- they'll lose access to my sweet deals? No, there's none of that. I thought that's but, what those but, patrician games were. Yeah, kind of merchant prince and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess you that. could like yeah. simulate that with some sort of merchant race. I think... Uh, Mu too had like a merchant race, like the Nolums or somebody. I think so. I think so. Yeah, but but the the deal it's almost like okay, war is too profitable because the deal should be like the threat of war is profitable. The actual act of doing it is devastating, right? It's like in World War II, America got a really nice economic boost because we had such geographic separation from where the bombs were falling. But the countries in Europe were basically flat at that point. They had no industry or anything after that till you know, all the rebuilding. So it's like you really don't want the war happening in your country. 
or, you know, your space nation or, or whatever. Um, but, it, but it's great to saber rattle because, you know, that, that uh, gets a lot of that tax money in the coffers of the, the military well, industrial. You want to be the right? third party. You want to be yeah. the third party that lets you let the other two parties fight amongst themselves, saber rattle mm-hmm. as much as possible, and then sell to both sides. So, so how about that? Like, I'm I'm the rich empire. I see these two two guys squabbling over there, and they come to me and they say, "Hey, can you make us a loan?" I've never had a game where another AI could come up and just be like, "Hey, I need to borrow some money," because you know it's always like, "Come come join me in this war." It's never like uh, I'm gonna need about tree fifty. I think in the original Master of Orion, the AI would occasionally come up to you and demand tribute. Well, yeah, but that was like, "Give me money, or I'm gonna come smack you." Uh, I'm talking about like where they say, "Hey, uh, we're losing a war. We could really stand to build some ships. Um, can we buy some ore from you or something? You know, at, at debt, right? We'll pay this back or, or whatever." Because at that point, you could become a banker and just win the economic game by letting all the all the little satellite nations beat the shit out of each other. And I think that's just a, control all the loans. I think that's a pretty tall request for AI. That's that's a lot of deep thinking, and we have to remember that in most games, the AI is added on last after the features yeah. are frozen, and so so, so that's, AI, we don't see games like that for a reason. Yeah. Did Did you um, mess around with Pandora? Any was it Pandora first contact that uh, the Forex that was like on the alien planet and you're trying yeah, to colonize. That, that, okay. The so guy, the guy, the AI was terrible. And then this guy came along and just completely rewrote the AI to the point where they re-released the game with his AI in it. And, and it's just like, wow, that's a pretty cool fan project, but how much of the AI is exposed out there that he could just rewrite it because it's not like he's diving into the source doing stuff. So, was was all the brains of the AI and XML files that he could just tweak away at, or what? I thought they did give and, him access. I thought they actually hired him to, uh, like, after him. he had a lot of progress on it. Well, yeah, maybe but, so. I, he's doing the AI for Dominus Galaxia now. Yeah, he is. Oh, cool. Yeah, so hopefully that'll go well. So I kind of so, have mixed feelings on that. Though. How much AI do you expose in Why text you, files that well, how do, somebody wait, can Ray, edit? Sorry, because he had to be editing something. Ray, why do you have I, I, I can't speak to what they're exposing, right? I mean, like in my game, they'll just have access to the source code and they can change it however they want, right? Okay, so so your stuff is not externalized. It's it's all like in the in the main, um, like the the subroutines and stuff that you load in, right? Yeah, pretty it, much. It's not like you you park a bunch of things out there for people to tweak. Well, you don't have to do that when you open source the game, right? Right. But I'm, no. I'm just wondering why, like a lot of commercial games, have done that, and the, and it's not really like, oh, we intend the fans to tweak this game. I think it was like easier in their development process to do it because they could screw around with it without having to recompile every time or something. But anyway, you were going to say something. No, I was. You said you had uh, mixed feelings about the. Um, oh, oh yeah, uh, Dominus Galaxia, yeah. Well, it's not about Donna's Galaxia. It's about um, the approach of making a really difficult AI. I think that um, it, that's a very risky approach to take for any game. I think most players um, don't want 
first of all, everybody wants to win, right? Everybody wants to win their game. But what players really want is they want to win with at least the illusion that they beat a competent AI. And the problem is, is if you really work on an AI, and this is what we found out with Pandora, it's not hard to write an AI that can really beat a, the average player, right? So what happens is, is when you make this really tough AI, you start trouncing the average player, which is 90% of your player base, and then they leave the game frustrated, and you've only made that 5 to 10% hardcore player base happy, right? Right. Yeah. So it's, it's all so about, you have to be about, very careful. Yeah. It's about striking a balance between, um, making the player feel like they're accomplishing something and they're a good player versus being challenging. It sounds like. Right. And I think, um, when Gal Sif 3 came out, uh, Brad Wardell put some metrics in the game and he found out, and I've, I remember reading this on Explorminate a while back, that 90% of the people who uh, played Gal Sib, and I'm probably not getting the numbers exactly right, but this is the general trend. 90% of the players who played Gal Sib never changed the game from the default easy setting, right? Ever. Which means 90% of the players were just playing to have fun. They weren't looking for a challenge. And it was kind of eye-opening for him. So it kind of makes you think about like how much time do I want to spend making this game the AI really challenging when I'm really going to frustrate a lot of the players if I'm not careful about it. Or you end up with a Gandhi in the Civ series where there's just one little line of code that got, well, yeah, one line of code that went squirrely and it put his, right. his nuke tendency from zero to 10,000 or something to that effect. And that's why Gandhi was throwing nukes, and it's just become mimetic since then that Gandhi always throws nukes around. Right, and exactly, right? And I think that was like actually an underflow bug or something. But uh, um, like with Pandora, once they released that patch that had the improved AI, they started getting lots of negative reviews on Steam, and a lot of people were assuming that the AI was cheating. So – you know, I think if you have a really strong AI, you have to find a way to make that like a special thing that the hardcore players get to. And you've got to make sure that the average player doesn't run into it. I agree. How you, so how do you do that? So there's, how do you how do you balance it out? I don't know. I think Dominus Galaxia is going to be a very interesting social experiment if the AI <laughs> is as difficult as they want to make it. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I hope the game is successful. I'm just thinking it's a different approach. It's just, it's well, just, if they're catering to the hardcore crowd, then that it would be successful because it's catering to them. Well, if you're catering to the hardcore crowd and you're trying to sell a game, it's by definition not, not going to be successful because the hardcore crowd is very small. I mean by successful in making that crowd happy. Oh, that's true. I agree. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Well, it's just time for those filthy casuals to get good. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, the, the other thing, too, the, the other type of AI that I've seen in games, well, like uh, XCOM, right, is where the AI is not playing the same game as you at all, and there's no expectation that they are. Um so it, it's it's not like here's an even playing field and there's 10 other players that are 
you know, just fake humans and they're playing the exact same game as you, but it's more like a cinematic enemy. You know, it's, it's just like you encounter them, things happen. Right. But, but it's, uh, it's all like smoke and mirrors and behind the curtain kind of thing. So so it's kind of like you get a director like in uh, left for dead where it's like, yeah, it's about time that we screwed with this guy to keep it interesting. So let's drop some stuff in there. Right. And, XCOM is very asymmetric in that sense, right? But for X Games, there's the expectation, because, you know, it came from, originally from Civ, that you mm. and the AI are all starting at the same level and you're all expanding through the galaxy. And then eventually you're going to run into each other and, and interact with each other. Mm. So there's this expectation that there's a more level playing field between you and the AI. And I don't think you can get away with a lot of AI cheating in 4Xs. Oh no, it's it's a different type of game. It would it would almost be like you're playing a 4X version of XCOM, right? Where it's right. it's like you're defending your empire against whatever and it's about building your economy and not necessarily, you know, do you have the advantage of 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 knowing what's going on in their economy because it's all smoke and mirrors kind of thing. It's just enough to dial up a challenge for for your economic building. But yeah, I don't think that works in a Master of Orion type scenario. But I can think of some places where it kind of maybe would. You know, like um uh what was that uh one that Brad just made? It was the Sorcerer King. I think it was where right, it's yeah. like you're 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 very much playing a 4x kind of thing and then the AI well he already he already runs the map so he doesn't really worry about his economy too much um it's it's just like how how much do you draw the wrath of that thing down on you so I, I think that's more of a cinematic enemy there but it's a very particular situation that that can happen in you know it's and I, I don't know the reception of that game seemed kind of mixed as well. Yeah, um, both of those, Sorcerer King and Rivals, um, they do have fairly mixed reception, uh, which is kind of a shame. They look great, you know, and they're supposed to be Mm. asymmetrical and all that, but it's not fun, you know. And and I guess that's the the problem a lot of us run into is when we're playing the AI – uh, we want to we want to be challenged, but we don't want to be stomped, and we don't want to have it so easy. Like, oh, I see what you did. You're idiots. That's tough. That's right. You want to you want to beat them, but just barely, and you want to make sure that they're not stupid, right? That's pretty much how you want it to go. Yeah, exactly. You want to feel like it's a hard won victory, like it matters, like it's satisfying. You know, you don't just want to win because I stomped them because they're stupid. That's not fun. Well, I guess sometimes it is, but <laughs> I do have a question. Okay, go ahead. go ahead, Under. Oh, I was going to be off topic completely onto a different subject, but whatever. Go ahead. Uh, I was actually going to ask Gray because it just occurred to me. Um, so, like with 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 Java and this game that you've made, like how what are your limits? Like how how big can this thing get? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked, actually. Um, when I started doing some performance tuning, uh, partially just because I wanted to scale up the map so I could look for things like memory leaks and things like that, things you can't really find until you start really stressing it. Um, I actually, you can play, I have a 32 gig laptop and I can play a map with 4 million stars on it. 
four million. That's pretty. That's pretty nuts, dude. Yeah, uh, and no one should play that game. It's just there <laughs> for me to test. But sure. you know, theoretically, I think if you downloaded the um, the game and played it, there's like a maximum map setting, and what it does, it looks at your memory and it makes as big of a map as it thinks you can safely play without running out of memory. And it's usually like a million stars or something. So, so with that in mind, could could you potentially expand the scope of what your game can do? Then, like, I know, I know, it's supposed to be a direct, like, clone or homage to the original Masters of Orion. But, like, are there any like maybe additional features that you think could enhance based on based on what you just said? Well, um, the original game the maximum map size was a hundred stars. So I think a lot of people know the original game doesn't really have much micromanagement in it. And if you scale past like a hundred stars and go to like 500 or a thousand or 5,000 or whatever, you'll quickly find out that the fleet management in the original game will break down. It's too hard to manage lots of fleets. So uh, one thing we did is we took what I consider to be most, the most useless uh, UI in the original game, the fleet screen, and we kind of reimagined it as a tool for doing mass uh, deployments and mass transfers of fleets all at the same time. So you can say, I want, you know, um, all of my fleets like in this area or, you know, all of my fleets that are doing this, I want them to go attack this system or I want all these uh, colonies that are making this ship, I want them to switch over to another ship so that you could do these mass changes all at the same time. So that would kind of help with the large maps. Okay, well, not necessarily with the large maps, though. At this point, would you would you consider like adding in new newer types of content or gameplay to what you've already built? Oh yeah, I, that's actually the plan, right? And um, the first release is going to be straight Master of Orion. So everyone who wanted a remade version of the original Master of Orion will get that game, and if they play it. And they go back and say, I'd rather play the original Master of Orion, then I've done something wrong. <laughs> but after that, I'm going to start adding features like leaders and more races and the Antarans and things like that, things that we saw in later iterations of Master of Orion in like within the same t- rule system as the original game. Nice. Oh, Very cool. Oh, I dig it. I dig it. Now, if you could somehow merge this with Drox Operative so I could be playing this. And then if I want to, I can click on my little guy and fly around and draw his opera. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just uh, that's that's the dream, but that's not happening. I know. <laughs> I don't even know what that game is, so I'm oh. sorry. Oh, it's it's basically kind of a Diablo in space, but you're playing a mercenary while the computer plays a four X around you, and you could work for the empires as they play the four X. It's really quite great. I can't speak to that, but one thing I've been uh, mulling over with the writer a little bit is how to be able to play the Antarans from the other side of the map to where you're the Antarans and you're trying to stop the other races from expanding. Oh, oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> My what, interest is peaked. Or maybe what you do is you add alternate dimensions like in Star Trek or or whatever, like – Master of Magic, you know, where you have the 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 the, the underground level, and the, you know, like you have alternate dimensions that you could slip in through, like in wormholes and stuff. 
That'd be great. It'll be wormholes for sure. Oh, where will they take you? Other parts of the map or other dimensions or what are we talking? Probably just other parts of the maps, but you'll be able to get to the Antarans probably through the wormholes when we do that. We're still working all that out. I I like everything I'm hearing. <laughs> Honestly. So, well, I hate to disappoint you, but it's probably going to be another year's worth of work before well, the first iteration of the game is done. Well, that's I just I was just about to bring that up. You said uh, you have at least another year to go. Um, now it's interesting because we have so many 4X games coming out, right? Like this, like I think mm-hmm. in the last month we had two major expansions, and then this month alone we have two big 4Xs that came out. Do you, since you have like have a lengthy development period, do you watch what other 4Xs are doing? And like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I like that idea. Like, do you do you get inspiration from any of these other like 4Xs at all? Or are you just totally focused on what you what what you're doing? Well, the feature set for the first game for the first release is pretty much set. But I will admit oh, yeah. that I love the genre and I love reading player comments about what how they think they can fix a problem or what would be a good feature. Ooh. And you get a lot of good ideas from people, right? Sure, of course. Of course. Um, because, because yeah, there's just so, like, does that worry you at all about what your, I mean, your game is free, I know. But, like, there's so much saturation right now. I mean, and, and again, you're not competing for dollars, but at the same time, you are competing for visibility. So is that I mean there's there's so much out and so much still coming out. Does that concern you at all? Um not too much and I'll tell you why. I mean it, it's it's kind of a long game you have to play but every one of these other games are being made by commercial entities for profit. And so the successes of these games are going to rise and fall based upon whether or not the creator thinks it's profitable to continue making it, right? I mean as much as I really appreciate what Wargaming did by bringing back the franchise, they they announced it, released it, and now they're kind of not even supporting it, right? So there's no guarantee with any of these commercial games that in three or four or five years, they're even going to be making them. Mm. Or, or maybe with Stellaris, they're going to scrap the whole thing and make Stellaris 2, and they'll have to reinvent the wheel all over again. So I can't worry about that, and they'll never match my price point, so... You know, <laughs> yeah. As I heard it, the uh, master of Orion, like the main dude, left. Oh, so really? It's just like, well, there won't be any more of that. Yeah, that's really disappointing too. I mean, they did. A, I thought they did a great job with that game. It has a lot of polish, and I really think if they had just spent some more time with it and kept fleshing it out, kind of like you know, Paradox is doing with Stellaris. Yeah, I don't think. I think it would be a, a big player in the market right now. They had a really solid base. Like right now, I I like to think of it as a very good introductory 4X. But through uh, through DLC and patches and whatnot, it could have been a very competitive product, ultimately. And it doesn't sound like it's going to get that opportunity. Which is a real shame because, you know... It's a new master. But it's variety. not a bad game. I mean, it's no, like it's, no, it's actually that's, pretty good. Somebody I'm that's not, getting into four X's, that's the one to go for. That's what I'm saying. It's not a bad game. It's just a. It's it's. I'd say it's more on the simpler side of four X's, and that's a good thing for a beginner. But I think one of the things, like I think you had all these experienced players that like were like, oh, oh, I'll just go back to playing Master of Orion two, because this is just too simple for me. 
you know? Well, unfortunately, I think they fell into the same trap that a lot of uh, indie developers who are making uh, Master of Orion clones fell into. And that's the idea of saying this game is inspired by Master of Orion 2 or like Pythonus Galaxia and Master of Orion 1. And it sounds great at the beginning because all these Master of Orion 2 fans, and there's millions of them apparently, mm-hmm. get excited and jump on the project and go, all right, you're going to make Master of Orion 2. And then what happens is is there's like a bait and switch that occurs. It's like, well, it's going to be Master of Orion 2, but we're going to do this. It's going to have real-time combat, or it's going to have this. And all of a sudden, these fans who've been waiting for a Master of Orion 2 feel betrayed. I mean, we and there's a lot of games that carry this banner around, like, oh, it's going to be inspired by this game. And I just think that's kind of a mistake to do. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. There are so many games chasing – they're basically chasing a dragon, and and they're I mean, Master of Orion one and two were products of their time, and there's a nostalgia there, but there's also a design philosophy that's like kind of rooted in the '90s, and and I think that's why like certain four X's like Soar of the Stars and Distant Worlds that like pretty much completely eschewed that. And 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 threw threw off that threw 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 that off and just did their own thing. I think that's probably why they're seen as more bright spots of the genre than God. What Horizon? Remember that one? Or um, <laughs> oh God, uh, Stars and Shadow? That just came and went recently. I mean, that wasn't bad, but nah. right. So like, I'm not playing that game, right? That right. game is inspired by Mu One, but I am actually not changing it. And like when I have an alpha, sometimes a Mu One player will say, "Oh, the original game was like this," and I'm going, "Oh, you're right," and I'll actually change it back because it, that's like my key focus, right? I don't want to kind of betray that trust because right. I'm making this game for myself too, right? I want I I want to play a modernized Master of Orion 1. Right. It sounds like the changes you have made are um, quality of life uh, changes like the fleet screen, which was one of the weakest parts of the original <laughs> game, let's be honest. That was, oh God, just trying to think about that fleet screen. Right, and the, uh, the fleet screen we have now is actually a lot better. Um, yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, it's almost revolutionary. There's no other 4X game that has the fleet management capabilities we have in this game. They just don't do it because it's kind of a, a late game issue. And we've actually solved this problem and no other Forex game has. I think the closest to have come to this is Gal Civ. They have like a little interface for querying fleets, right? And I mean, if anyone ever played this game on a large map, you can't play it without that fleet UI because yeah. it's just so mm-hmm. useful. Distant Worlds also does a good job with, um, it's got a sidebar where you can just, select all your fleets easily and make new fleets with a few button clicks. So I see what you mean though. And that game also, have you played that one? A little bit. The interface is really hard to get into. Ah, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, it's come a long way since it's initial release. I don't know if you've played universe, um, but yeah, it is. It, it's a struggle at first. It really is a struggle. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it is worth overcoming. It took me about a week to overcome it. Maybe about four or five hours of playing over a week to finally start having it click with me. But 
Yeah, no, I see what you mean because that game has huge maps and there are tons and tons of ships and managing that is really important. Even in the early game when you have um, when you have all these scouts doing stuff or colony ships or whatever, you know, it's it's real and it's I didn't even really play with your fleet screen much, but now that I know I can do all that, I'm going to go back after this show and <laughs> and fiddle with it. Well, see, like on the fleet screen, you don't even have to select fleets. You can just there's a checkbox. You can say I want select all the fleets that have fighters in them, and they'll just light up on the screen. And you can just say, okay, deploy these fleets to the system, right? And oh my god, boom, they all go right. I did not do any of that when I was playing. I because I think my experience with the fleet screen in the original Master of Orion was for, uh, negative enough that I barely even looked at it in your game. <laughs> oh, that was a mistake. Uh, and it's not really that useful until you have lots of fleets, right? It's more of an in-game type feature. Yeah, I was getting there at the at the end. Like this game that I recorded, I kept playing after I stopped recording, and I did start having quite a few ships. Uh, but I didn't really do much with the fleet screen. I just clicked them on the map like you did in the original game because that's what they wanted you to do, uh, it felt like. Um, so now I'm going to go back and try that fleet screen. That sounds amazing. But yeah, it sounds like those are the kind of changes you want to make in a modern Master of Orion uh, iteration is you don't change the core gameplay, but you make it more accessible, you know, through, you know, UI improvements and whatnot, which it sounds like what you've done. Yeah, I agree. And you have to think about like, where did, where did the game start breaking in the original game? And, you know, what can I change to make it not break, right? Yeah, and with a lot of games, the mid at for me at least, uh, the mid and the late games are always almost always a problem in a lot of four in in four X games because it's either, a notorious problem, yeah. Yeah, because it either starts getting boring or unmanageable. Yeah, you know, or, or, or or both, both. or both. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's one of the reasons I really liked uh, Master of Orion because. You can only have so many fleets, and you can only have such a lo- such a large map, I mean, such a size of a map that it never gets unmanageable. But you're always moving and doing something because there's fleets to move and whatnot. And oh, I just bombarded that colony to oblivion. Now I want to take it over, so let's move that colony ship. So you know, it was it was a much more active game than like say Stellaris, where oh, it's the mid game now. We're going to have you put everything into sectors and take control away from you, huh? Why? No. Stop. Yeah, that that's a bad idea. I'm a big believer in yeah. uh, no automation for the player. Everything the player does, every action he takes has a reaction. And if you need the computer to do something for a player, you should abstract that out of the game. Oh. Well, again, that's, Distant Worlds does a very good job with that because you can turn automation on and off for a wide variety of things. I know some people play Yeah, you can – Fully manual. You can go with just one chip, one yeah. chip, and that, control only one chip. Let mm-hmm. everything else be automated, and that's totally cool. That's how I learned the game. Actually, was I started with one chip, and then I unlocked a few more, and then a few more, and then I unlocked fleet control. You know, I turned that to manual. You know, so maybe that's how you got to do it. It's a great game. Yeah, that game has a notorious learning curve, though. It does. I will say it's worth it, but you're making a game. You only have so much time in the world, I understand. But um, it's it's if you have some time to kill, I I was just gonna say it's it's worth it's worth pushing through that uh, that curve. You're not gonna convince me, <laughs> but okay. I appreciate it. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I 
I, I understand. I've tried to convince many people <laughs> to play that game, and then they play it for like an hour, and they're like, nope, and then they return it, and I'm like, okay, I understand. It's not for everyone. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of the worst thing about developing a game is when I come home and I probably have some time to spend, yeah. I work on the game. I don't get to play. I develop. And so when I did this last alpha, which was, I don't know, about a month ago, I was actually very, very surprised to get so much positive feedback because as the developer, every time I pull up the game, all I see are bugs that I still need to fix, features that are still missing. I hear a soundtrack that I've already heard a thousand times, so I mute it as soon as I start the game. So when people approach the game with fresh eyes and they tell me that they're they're playing it and they're having fun, that, that actually surprised me quite a bit. Well, I think whereas you're seeing all these these problems and, and, and you're very clear on your page that this is an alpha, every iteration you have a post about, like, this is alpha, this is alpha, this is alpha. And I think because of that transparency, people come with it, people come to it being more forgiving as they should because it's an alpha. But also, I think it's early access is, is a weird thing and certain people come to it with the expectation of a finished game. Where I think when you have something like this, you're going to attract the type of player who knows that you say it's an alpha, it's not finished, I'm going to try it anyway. You know, because this is not on Steam. So I think someone finding this already has to be actively looking for it. You know, so you're probably going to give it a different type of player than someone just browsing through Steam, you know, looking for some junk to play. And what I well, you haven't had a transaction, right? That too. So they don't have a promise of or or a false uh, impression that That they're going to have a finished product or a certain level of whatever. Another thing too is when I release the alpha, I have to release it in a different state than most players expect from companies, because that's why you saw like what twenty patches over the first three weeks or whatever, as I addressed bugs and stuff, I don't have like a QA team that I can give the game to and let them run it through its paces for a week before I release the alpha. The people who download my game and play the game are the QA team, right? I mean, there's nobody else. So when I first release an alpha, it feels very raw and there's a lot of obvious bugs in there. And I, I try to be as, I try to fix them as quickly as I can, but, uh, you know, like you said, I think it feels more like an alpha because of that. Right. And, um, yeah, so all that stuff comes together, though, I think. Like, when people buy early access games on Steam, for example, it really skews, because one, they're paying for it, like Jim said, but two, I think when people see a game on Steam, they have an expectation that's finished or close to finished or something like that. And because you're completely independent, I think people come to you with a slightly different expectation, which I, I, it sounds like it helps you, ultimately. Well, yeah, it's like, learning. It's ahead, like people on people on Steam treat early access as like play the game early, not play the game when it's a busted like half game. So and they get enraged, yeah. you know. It's it's almost like well, we want late beta early access, and it's like well, that's not really, and that's kind of when devs get into the the problem of like they use early access as a funding model, then that's when that bad thing happens. So if you're 
giving somebody a game and they're giving you money in return, a transaction has occurred. And I think the person who receives that game and plays it and is disappointed has is every much as right to complain about the quality of it as anyone who bought a released game. I mean, early access is just a name and it's kind of, honestly, I think it's kind of an excuse to get away with releasing unfinished products. Like you said, to get funding. I don't think that's true in every case, but I, I will say that it's true in probably a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, when they have an, when they state right off the bat, we're going to have an early access period of a few months just to hammer out the bugs and get it released to a wider audience, but we're only going to be in for a few months. Right, that's as opposed cool. to the as opposed to the uh, the Tim Schafer deal where it's like, yeah, we're going to make space based DF nine. Um, and we're going to live hand to mouth. So if you guys quit buying, we're going to quit developing. Now it's I like, contrast oh. that with say the Pulsar devs, which are a very small team. There's only a couple guys working on it and it has been in early access for a couple of years, but you know what? They're working on it and they're putting out regular patches. They've got a lot of transparency going and they've got a lot of goodwill with the community. So that I would say it's a better model in terms of if you're going to be in early access for a few years, then be transparent about it. Actually, I think that's a really good point. I think when developers are very transparent, even if it's about bugs or mistakes, but there's this constant communication between the developer and the players, even if it's just the developer giving out notices and stuff and occasionally answering questions that goes a long way towards making players feel more forgiving of problems. If you have a developer that kind of ghosts and disappears and then every six months comes up and asks for money, well, yeah, people are not going to like that. <coughs> Limit theory. <coughs> Wait, what? Maybe so, right? Wait, what? Is he asking for Sorry. money? Is he asking for no, money again? I'm just saying, like, he goes away for like half a year and then doesn't say anything and then comes back and is like, oh, hey, I'm back. He's like, I've been updating Twitter. I never left. Uh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm better. a big believer we're, in we're transparency. I think anyone who goes to my uh, dev blog and can see that, you know, I, how many updates I've put out since the game out, they, I'm, I'm a big believer in being transparent about what's going on. Yeah. One thing people cannot accuse you of is not updating your blog. That's that's you're very 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 amazingly active when it comes to your blog, which is great. As so, yeah. What's interesting too about this whole process is you find out exactly how thick or thin your skin is. Oh, really? Yeah, because um, you you'll be surprised how much const- uh, criticism is crafted as constructive, or you know, like people who criticize things that's something that's very subjective, right? And you'll find, and they'll tell you all these things you need to be doing. I don't know how many people have told me how to write code and I've been writing code for 25 years. And then I found out that they're not even a programmer in real life. Right. So I don't know how to respond to that. Wait, what? So people tell you how to write code, even though they don't write code. Yeah. I think there was a guy once who, started asking me about the AI and they started giving me all these suggestions about how to write an AI and how I should do it. And so I'm like, Oh, so you do AI programming. Right. And he goes, no, 
And I go, well, are you a computer programmer? And he goes, no. He was just regurgitating stuff he'd read on Wikipedia, right? Oh, <laughs> it was like, well, I, I watched a couple of YouTube videos, and, and now for, I'm ready. For God's sakes. I bumped out. But that over. actually happens a lot, right? Uh. So I tell, like, the writer, I've told the graphic designer, I've told the illustrator, you know, your work is going to go up on the blog. And when you read comments, be prepared to have somebody who knows nothing about the professional skills involved in doing this criticize it, right? And you just have to kind of let it roll off your skin, right? Just ignore it because that's just kind of a fact of life. My response to those things are always, why so salty? <laughs> well, that, that's also a luxury of me not being a commercial entity, right? Like, like developers and, and corporations that make games, if somebody makes an unreasonable criticism, they can't really respond like they want to respond because ultimately they want that person's money, right? I mean, that's the whole point. Whereas I, I'm kind of liberated from that. I can just kind of tell them what I think, right? I can respond in kind and then then they can criticize me for having a thin skin, but I'm just reacting like a normal person would react. You know, if you came into my house and told me I wasn't, you know, doing my hobby, right. It would be kind of weird. That would be kind of weird. <laughs> Even though that just sounded overly defensive. And I know that, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Just ask them next time. Next time you like, anytime I see someone who does that kind of stuff, I'm like, well, I could do it better. Or I'm smarter than you are. I'm like, all right, well, then what are you doing with it? Like, how about you make a game? Like, that's usually my response to that kind of stuff. Like, what, where's your uh, where's your examples of of doing it where you think it's supposed to be done? Yeah, I think one time a guy was giving me all these suggestions for a new race, and I'm going, oh, that's great. A new race costs me about $1,500. So, uh, Whoa, what? Give me fifteen hundred dollars, oh, and yeah, the artwork and all oh, this other stuff that has to the, be done, right? The yeah. writing it's and a, the translation, and that's probably conservative. Yeah. That's probably conservative. Oh my gosh! Wow. I kind of want to ask how much you probably feel you've invested into this project, but that's probably personal. And <laughs> no, nah, I don't care. Let me think about this for a second. Um, if I had to project what I think my ultimate out-of-pocket expenses will be. When the first version is done, I'm going to just spitball and say about $20,000. That's, and again, you're not asking for any money back for this. Now, is this, is like, is this going to be a resume builder, for example, maybe? (laughs) No, I'm probably going to retire in a few years. I don't need to build my resume for anything. Oh my God. But I mean, so contrast that to people, um, I don't know, like um, someone who takes $100,000 in a Kickstarter and doesn't make a game, I'm thinking, well, I can make a game for 20000 plus my living expenses over the course of the game. So I don't understand how people can take a lot of money in Kickstarter, run out, and then act like, you know, I wouldn't they gave su- it their best effort. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, they get all the money, and then they're like, oh, we have to get offices, and we have to get all these things. Pokers and blow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and we have to, in fact, we have to open studios in four different countries. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, we have to have doors. We have to have doors that look like the spaceship. Hey, we have to listen, have those how doors. How about we get? Uh, <laughs> we're going to go on a motion capture adventure, and, uh, and we have to hire these big actors. You know, for, I mean, uh, I don't want to take money from people because it creates all these financial and legal and emotional really and ethical does. obligations that I don't it, want to deal with. Yeah, it really does. 
Like, that's why the game we were just talking about, there's so many emotions wrapped up in it because of all the money flowing around it. You know, it's 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 kind of fascinating and heartbreaking to see at the same time. <laughs> uh, Maybe I'm just kind of speaking from a luxury position of... You know, I'm, I have a full-time job and I can afford this, so maybe it's just easier for me to say that. No, no, it's fine. Like I was saying, uh, there was another game, uh, Astrox. Um, great game, by the way. Uh, it's basically like a, a kind of combat mining open world uh, game. It's really a lot of fun. The developer's like, yeah, if this fails, uh, it's fine. Whatever, I'm good. Because <laughs> he was... He wasn't relying on it financially. You know, he already had an income from something else. This is just a project of love. And he was he was charging money for it. But at the same time, he probably would have been fine not doing so. You know? So right. it's kind of interesting how not being, again, financially dependent on a project can really change your perspective. Because, yeah. Right. Well, and sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, it's great if it's successful and sells a lot of copies, but but ultimately, and, and this is coming from my own experience as well uh, in development, is is it paying for itself? If it does, then awesome. Anything beyond that is just it's just icing on the cake. Exactly. All right, we should so start- like. Oh, sorry, God. I was going to say, like in my case. You know, the thing I worry about is burnout, right? If you work mm. on something for too long, you start feeling burned out. And so I usually take about a a month off twice a year where I don't even touch the game. And open sourcing it is like my, you know, final answer. If I just totally burn out on the game, I can just release the source and say, you guys carry it across the finish line if for some reason I can't do that. And people would. People would. Open sourcing a game. Like, look at Free, look at, uh, free Space. For example, open sourcing a game can give it such a new life. You know, it's it's really amazing. So that yeah, this is sorry. Go ahead. This has been a great talk. I I heard you seems like you're about to wrap it up, and I hope you don't mind. But I would like to like uh, let people know about a another podcast that I'm a semi regular on the Forex sure. Gaming Podcast. They talk about Forex games. It's a great podcast. Uh, We're as long pull- as you don't say Explorminate, because those guys, man. Fuck those guys. No, we're kidding. We love them. <laughs> so anyway, so we're going to make sure to plug you guys on our next one too. But if, if you like Forex games, it's a great podcast. And I think you where, should listen to where it. Can we fi- where can folks find that? Um, if you go to Reddit and the Forex gaming subreddit, there'll be a link and you, that you can get to the podcast. There. They're really nice. I have to admit, they're really well done. Oh, and my website, if anybody's interested in the game, I don't know if you've mentioned it or not is um, remnantsoftheprecursors.com. Yeah, so if you I, want to go download the the alpha, it's totally free. As long as you've got Java 8 installed, you should be able to play it on Linux, Windows, or a Mac. Is it just called the 4X Gaming Podcast? And does it have eight episodes? That's correct. Yes, that's correct. Okay, I found it. Okay. They do one about every two weeks. I will definitely include that in the show notes. It's also good to know we have a competitor, so I hope you crash and burn. 
Just, just going to throw well, that. Well, out. that's fair. I'm so kidding. <laughs> that's fair. I'm so kidding. <laughs> no, 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 I'm no, no. so kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that's a, no, no, no. I know you're joking, but actually, you might enjoy it. I mean, it is strategy game podcast. No, I'll, I'll, totally I'll totally listen. I'll totally listen. We're going to send. It. We'll send Nate over to kneecap him for us. <laughs> I'll, no, I'll totally listen to it, and uh, yeah, the, folks, there'll be he, a link. Well, he's a doctor, right? He knows where to hit him. Is he? So, yeah. Uh, folks, Nate's a doctor. You can go yeah. to it's forexgaming.libsyn.com right now. That's where you can download the episodes. I'll also be including a link to this in the show notes on the uh, MP3 audio version of the podcast. So they'll definitely yeah, or you can just go to the subreddit, and it'll be linked on the top. Uh, what's the subreddit? It's like 4X Gaming. Or, oh, there it 4X is. 4X Gaming. Thanks, AC Wraith. He put AC Wraith. Thank you. Yeah, that's the uh, Libsyn thing, at least. Um, but no, that's great. So look, there's, uh, let's see. He's already talked about Stellaris and Endless Space 2. So no, that's great. That's great. We definitely need more people talking about these things. Hopefully developers will listen and start making better games. Sorry. Uh... <laughs> I'm not better. Um, anyway, so yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, how many? How 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 did you start that podcast? I mean, you're making a game, so. Um, that- the guy who runs that podcast is Rob, and he's he's the guy who created the Explorminate website. Wait, and when what? he left that website, yeah, he runs. He's the moderator for the Forex Gaming subreddit, and he started that podcast, and somehow I got. <sighs> shuffled in as a guest podcaster so i've been on it a few times so he's competing but, with his own creation it sounds like sort well, of somewhat kind of, sort of are you really competing if you're doing it for free uh, I, mean, I don't understand i guess people only have so no. much time in the day you can only no, listen to one podcast and i'm just I got saying it, so i will tell you guys i had to podcasts. cut it since my commute got shorter i had to cut out a lot of podcasts from my rotation because I'm pretty sure that social media is pretty much built on the idea of mutual back scratching, right? I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, in, in a way, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Just yeah. No, I'm just surprised to find out that Rob was doing that because he yeah. was yeah. he was like so beat for time once once he uh, like started his fireman career. Yeah. And, and so, well, maybe that's why they're only like every two weeks too. So, right, and I, he didn't do the last one. He left us to do it without him. So the, yeah, the Exploraminate guys they they pump out the shows very very regularly. So I guess it kind of makes sense. Um, well, they they have to raise money to pay for Nate's uh, XCOM addiction. Is what it is. He's oh dear. Um, he's got a serious XCOM problem. He really does. All right, so folks, the game, again, Remnants of the Precursors. You can download it for free at remnantsoftheprecursors.com. Again, there'll be a there on uh, the stream, there's a link below on YouTube, but there'll also be a link on the uh, show notes, uh, the show notes for the show once this goes live as an MP3 you can download. And the podcast is the 4X Gaming Podcast. Uh, it's relatively new, but it looks like they're covering all the awesome bases. So go check that out. Again, there will be a link for that as well. So that's pretty awesome. A uh, couple of show notes. Our contest ended, and I have – I'm sorry to the folks listening. I just haven't had time to pick the winners yet, but I'll probably be doing that within a week. So thank you to everyone who left reviews for us on iTunes. Even if we're not running a contest, please leave a review for us on iTunes because that actually helps. Uh, next week on the show – 
Uh, we're going to be talking to the developer of the just funded today space station simulator Astrobase Command. They are they're running a Kickstarter, and they just got funded this very is day. It, wait, is this the the space station thirteen thing, or this is a different thing? This is like it's a seventies themed space station sim, okay. and you're managing it from like a virtual uh, like a desk on the station. So it's very mm. immersive. It looks really cool. So is this is this being done by the guy that did the um was like Daisy and stuff cuz he was trying to do maybe like um I'm, I'm not sure. a space station 13ish kind of thing for a while. Yeah, I'll have to look. I'm not sure. But, if it uh, is, man, it's going to devolve into a into a Daisy night. So <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for Thursday's LAN party, uh, to coincide with the release of Endless Space 2, we're going to play a game that surprisingly we haven't played because it has co-op and everything. Dungeon of the Endless. I'm, I'm, uh, I thought you were going to say genital jousting. Damn it. Oh, no. What does that have to do with Endless Space 2? It's endless. Oh, that's a video game now? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I will send you a copy. That's, that's our parting gift for being on the show. Do do not accept this. You get a choice not, of that or poop in your do, soup or do not shower this. with your dad's simulator. That'll be These our, are all friends of ours here. That'll be our gift bag for every guest from now on is just a bunch of keys for these games. It'll be like a good well, – you know when you go to a thing and you get a goodie bag, you know, this will be it's our the, It's the equivalent of a bag of dicks. That is exactly yeah. – <laughs> We, we should call we, pretty much there, digital, digital bag of dicks. There, there is a video that I occasionally <laughs> like to. Dick in a box. What's that song? Dick it, box. Yeah, it's unfortunately uh, Brian could not be present at the time due to common sense. Oh. Um, but, but Hunter and Dan did show up, and we were most offended. I've never been so offended by pixels on my screen. I was just like, wow, this oh. is a thing. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm yeah, in that game, and I don't mean to. Oh my god! Okay, yeah, let's let's stop talking about that game. So, uh, hey, pun Brian, intended. Plug yes, in. Brian and everyone else whose name I don't remember. I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. So thanks Absolutely, for that, man. I'll oh. have to get you back on when you add more content. Yeah, Ray, we'll definitely have you back in like a year when the game is done, uh, or gold, or 1.0, or whatever you feel is ready to. Or it becomes the, the most wild. played 4X game in the world. Oh, yeah, it will. So oh, oh, hey, someone so, someone so asked earlier. Job, right? I'm, so, hang on, I'm sorry. Someone asked earlier and I forgot. Because it can be run on a variety of platforms. Will it be able to be run on mobile? Like, could someone run this on a tablet? If they Oh, thanks for asking. Um, well, first of all, it'll run on a Windows tablet. Oh, Straight okay. up. Because it's Windows, right? It'll, um, sure. As far as, as, far as uh, Android... I think there's a possibility I may be able to compile it, the Java program Ooh. into an executable. I haven't looked into that. And if I can do that, then I may be able to use um, some intermediary software where you can run it on an Android system. I don't know for sure, but zero, well, chance, for, zero chance for iOS. Um, well, if you can run it on a Raspberry Pi, that, yeah. that runs a Linux distro, right? That's correct. So, I mean, in theory, it should be able to run on Android. Yeah, because Android is based on Linux. So. Well, it's running on Linux through Java, the JVM, and uh, the Java JVM gotcha. does not run on Android. So gotcha. it would have to be an executable. 
So if I can create an executable out of it, I think we might be able to run it on Android. Well, that'd be pretty awesome. I'd be amazing. Then I could play it on my Nvidia Shield. And and the AI is is straightforward. I mean, the AI, the UI is straightforward enough that it could easily be played on a tablet. I think because the buttons are nice it, and big, and it's it's just some simple dragging and whatnot. Right, so. and I do want to tell everybody who's played it and who's already having fun. I just want to remind you all. It's not finished. There's more races. There's more features to go in. And all I can tell you is it won't get worse. It'll have to get better, right? It'll have to finish the game. So if you already like it now, I may like it more when it's done. It can only go up from here, basically. Uh, And it's already in a good place. It's already in a good place. Like I said, I I put like an hour or so in it. I had a great time playing it. I really did. So, folks, again, free. You can't argue with free. F-R-E-E for right. It'll run and on it, your thing. Just get it and play it on whatever thing you have. It'll run on it. You have a Vita? And it'll run on that. You got a you you got an old Apple IIe? Probably run on that. So, uh, so... <laughs> Did you see that cartoon? I forget who posted it in the, in the Discord, but it was, uh, the, there was the scientist. They were like, Here, here's the, the IT professional or the IT scientist versus the like the sysadmin right and, oh, and it was like the it the it guys like oh this strange alien computer who knows what what mysteries it will hold if we can only figure out how it works and then the the sysadmin's like dude i got i got doomed to run on this thing and uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking engage yeah good job teeth i forgot about the engage oh god <laughs> so 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 brian i know you're trying to wrap this up but i want to yeah, mention one thing about about free it's fine yeah so ahead. Actually, one of the things I have to fight against is the stigma of it being free. Oh, Because yeah. most games that are free are either free because they suck or they're free because they're going to inundate you with ads. And microtransactions. And, right. And this game is not free for any of those reasons. It's, you could pack it it's full free, of fake it's ads free. for space product. <laughs> <laughs> it's free because I can afford to make it free. Right, and that's the only reason it's free. I can afford to make it free, and there's no, you're, it's, there's no ads or microtransactions or anything like that in it. And that is again amazing, folks. Again, this game is free. You should play it if you like anything 4X related at all. It is it is really really great. And uh, oh, good news: <laughs> the stream only had two point five dropped frames this week. That's amazing! Yay! Time. Time Warner's getting better, I think. I hope. Um, no, that's really good. A couple of weeks ago, like we were dropping every other freaking frame. So, no, this is great. Um, so, yeah, Ray, thank you for not only coming on the show, but for making this really impressive free game. You know, as as and for your next trick, you'll fix it for Orion Three. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the Impossible Dream. <laughs> there's Someone, no way to do that there right? are people have told me I should play it with mods and I'm like nah, I don't know I don't think so no I don't wanna <laughs> I really don't it looks so bad well where uh, where did that game go wrong is it because it abstracted too much away from the player like people wanted to micromanage stuff and they just it. took it all away it sounded like what? The gentleman that they that we were talking about earlier, Alan Emmerich, it sounded like they brought him on the beginning, and he left because they weren't listening to him. That's what I 
learned. That's what I read about. Uh, they and, had design A, and it was taking too long, so they fired the team uh, and then patched it all together without finishing the design. And so it's kind of a half-finished mess. And honestly, Massive Ryan 3 single-handedly killed the franchise, right? I mean, as soon as that game came out, people were immediately saying there's probably never going to be another Massive Orion. It was that bad. So yeah, for someone I'm, to say now, I'm wondering, was it, was it because it was that bad or because it was that different than expectations? Apparently, I guess that's the root of the apparently question. Like it, it might have been a good that. game hidden under from what like I under- something impenetrable. From what I understand, it was just, it was terrible. From what I understand, everyone I've talked to said it was just a, a, just a horrendous mess that you couldn't understand or have fun with. Well, I'm going to have to run over to good old games and do some science. I trust Tom Chick and yeah, oh, no, his review no, no, on no. it. If you read his review, it's very spot on. Okay, you don't like Tom Chick, but I trust uh, him. No, he's, Tom, he's good Tom, le- Tom left me curbside one day. Oh, it was like I was going to ride in his Jeep, and then and then he was like, ah, oh, man, you're going to have to get a cab. And uh, yeah. Did I tr- trigger you? Is that what happened? No, no, it's it's just the thing I rub him about. Um, but quarter to three, I'm I'm actually the guy that built the site originally. Wow, it was that's like impressive. Back in '98, uh, it wasn't at the time. <laughs> it was it was just like of of the three or four of us, I was the only one that knew HTML, so I kind of smacked it together, and wow. uh, then uh, Chet and Eric from Old Man Murray kind of picked up the hosting, and and they took it from there. So, but the, but the look of the site, that, that crappy blue gradient stuff. Yeah. That's totally my art. I, I can't believe they've preserved it for 20 something years. The GOG version of master of Orion three is still $10. That seems. Are they giving you the $10? Or are you going to pay it? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, fact, no. That's, just, that's Sadly, what Tom no. paid me for making the site was $10. So it'll be. <laughs> So I can afford that now. If I had invested wisely, I would have. Folks, if you listen to this podcast, if you listen to this podcast, you're like, I want to see how bad Master of Orion 3 truly is. Wait for a sale. Really, don't don't pay ten dollars for this. Just just there there are better ways to spend ten dollars than Master of Orion 3. Oh God. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening and for watching. Everyone, thank you for being a good great co-hosts as always ray thank you so much for joining us and uh we will see you next time on the show have a great night everyone good night